Hello and welcome to The Local Authority, the podcast by Local Government Chronicle. Each month we bring together leaders and changemakers from within and around local government to discuss the most significant social challenges facing the sector. If you enjoy this podcast, please do leave us a rating on the podcast platform of your choice and recommend this episode to your colleagues. You can keep up to date with all the latest in local government news at lgcplus.com. Welcome to The Local Authority, the podcast from Local Government Chronicle. I'm Sarah Kalkin, LGC editor, and today I'm joined by an expert panel to discuss how councils should best approach investment in their places in the face of spiralling inflation and the very high profile failure of a number of councils with high levels of debt. We want to explore how councils are approaching funding of regeneration in this environment and whether attitudes to commercialisation in local government have changed. To do that, I'm joined by Rob Whiteman, Chief Executive of the Chartered Institute of Public Finance and Accountancy. Sarah Norman, Chief Executive of Barnsley Metropolitan Borough Council. And Tracy Bingham, Strategic Director of Corporate Resources at South Derbyshire District Council, a role that includes the Section 151 Officer Responsibilities. And she's also a Finance Policy Officer for the District Council's network. So, Sarah, I want to start with you, if I may. Barnsley is one of those councils that does have quite a high level of debt. And could you talk us through what your approach has been to date when it comes to borrowing and investment? Yes, I mean, I'd like to start off by distinguishing borrowing for regeneration purposes and improving our places and borrowing for commercialisation. I mean, I've always been very wary of thinking that I can do better than the private sector. If I was good at making money, I probably wouldn't be a local authority chief exec. I would be working in the private sector. And I don't think that it's very sensible for local authorities to think they can somehow do better than the market and that they can develop exciting commercialisation prospects ideas and really make money out of them. I I, I think that's a bit of a a fool's errand really and that's not a direction I would ever take my local authority down. But what Barnsley Council has done is to borrow money in order to invest in the future of the borough. And I mean I would identify two areas, two big areas where, where we've done that. One was Barnsley Council decided when the Building Schools for the Future programme ended um, at the end of the last Labour government that it would continue the programme with its own borrowing. This was because Barnsley Schools um, prior to that um, had been achieving very poorly. They were in a poor state of condition. There was a need for new leadership, new focus, new new, um, ambition really for our children and young people in the borough. And transforming our secondary schools was a key part of that. So a big part of our debt is from that building schools for the future investment. And then the other area where we have invested a lot of money is to transform our town centre. And anybody who's been to Barnsley Town Centre recently, and I know, Sarah, you have, and you know, I think it yeah. underpins our, our win as, as, as Council of the Year, will see how we have transformed Barnsley Town Centre. And that's been by investing in a really, really successful mixed development that includes a 13-screen cinema, um, some retail, some restaurants, but also a new public library, a new market, NHS Community Diagnostic Centre, a host of different uses, which are all reinforcing each other and mean that our footfall is now way more than a third higher than it was before the pandemic. So, you know, Barnsley Town Centre is really booming. Now, that's cost the council £220 which is obviously a a huge investment. 
Um, but um, it does more or less wash its face in terms of income we get from um, the, the users of the centre, the, the, the tenants in the centre, and from business rates. Um, but more importantly, actually, it's completely transformed the success of Barnsley Town Centre. And it's a, a town centre that our residents are immensely proud of, really, really positive about. And so that's, you know, it's very much a regeneration-led scheme and about giving Barnsley a really, really positive future. So I would want to differentiate between those different kinds of investment. Sure. Thank you. And, and Tracy, to come to you next, South Derbyshire's got quite a different approach and I believe doesn't really have any debt on its general fund account. What What's the thinking been behind that? Yeah, um, and, and I think I'd say, Sarah, um, that's the current position and it may not always be that position. You know, like any council, we've got service investment needs um, and, you know, we've got economic regeneration needs. But on a, a strong uh kind of track record of delivering economic um, regeneration and housing growth this council's managed its um, capital aspirations within its means so it's funded its capital program historically through its uh, generation of its own capital receipts or indeed revenue contributions um, some of that housing growth has enabled the council to um, build up uh, a reasonable level of reserves so in that regard in a you know a, a good position um, to springboard uh, its future plans using those reserves as a as a means of doing so. Um, but as I said, that's, that's not to say in the future that we won't be looking and considering borrowing um, for some of the service and, and economic regeneration aspirations of the council. Um, we are in a bit of a, um, a commercial space um, that's not reliant on borrowing. Um, we've got a couple of, um, like many local authorities, we've got a couple of um, commercial assets that bring in uh, investment income. But yeah, that's not linked to borrowing. Um, and I think, you know, just, just to highlight, I guess, a bit of an oddity in terms of um, the, the sector and the monitoring of um, debt in the sector, we do have a housing revenue account so if you looked at the capital risk metrics that are currently being consulted on if you look at um, some of the um, data explorer uh, from um, dlook um, you might think oh okay that that's a council yeah, it's flagged above medium inter- median level in terms of its level of debt um, but actually that's linked to the housing revenue account and has a you know a very different uh, set up it has a you know robust business plan behind it in terms of um, in terms of that debt so yeah really uh, in contrast a very different position for us in South Derbyshire um, but you know just to, to wrap up that intro totally advocate Sarah's position there and, and around those investment principles um, which is you know not solely for yield uh, for yield but actually for um, you know for the benefit of your local authority area and your residents that you serve yeah. Thanks, Tracy. And, and Rob, at the time when councils such as Woking and Thurrock was racking up debt um, in the 2010s, SIPFA was often kind of a bit of a lone voice cautioning against it. So, I mean, where do you stand on on this, you know, borrowing for investment and, and borrowing for yield? Well, I, I think... Uh, borrowing in advance of need and borrowing for yield, uh, we continue to caution against, and I'll I'll come to that in a second. I think what we want to remember is local authorities borrowing is a good thing. Local authorities having buoyant capital programmes and using borrowing 
to regenerate their areas, to build housing, to build schools and libraries, to create prosperity is a good thing. And I want to see more borrowing. I want to see people doing imaginative, creative and great schemes that help to serve their communities. And yeah, it warms my heart to hear uh, some of the examples we've we've just been given in in, in terms of uh, what Sarah and Tracy have said about their different approaches, but to the same outcome of of serving the, the public. Um, and on the whole, I would like to see local government have a bigger role on how local assets are managed. I, I feel pretty strongly, actually, that if I think of all the schools that were closed at the stroke of a pen, actually, because it was a central diktat to close them, they all closed in one go. I genuinely believe that if those assets... This is f- from the rack issue. Yeah, the, the, sorry. The yes, Sarah. But I mean, I, ge- <laughs> I, I genuinely believe that lo- if, if those rack issues were being managed locally, some of those schools would have been open through, um, with mitigations in place in order to deal with them over a good period of time through proper asset management. And so I want to see local authorities have um, used their borrowing powers to regenerate their areas. And over time, I would argue that actually local assets, local public assets in an authority's area would benefit by councils being involved because the state, the central government, doesn't make a, a good job of managing things like RAC. They, they lump it all together. And at the stroke of a pen, we've got kids out of school where some of them actually could have been in school if that was being managed properly. Um, all that said, um, yes, yeah, SIPFA has been uh, speaking for a decade that the way that you sort out your revenue budget is by acting upon your revenue budget and having a medium-term financial plan, racking up huge amounts of debt and risk on commercial ventures uh, outside of your area is not the intention of the Prudential Code and the capital freedoms that we have. And if if we all stand back a little bit, just for a second, you know, in the court of public opinion, I think we really can say, isn't it lovely to hear or good to hear that Barnsley has got a diagnostic centre and or cinemas or libraries, um, and that's good use of public money. Uh, on the other hand, squandering a couple of billion quid, squandering a couple of billion quid on a failed commercial venture is unacceptable. And, and actually, capital is vitally important in the public sector in order to invest for the future. And used well and used responsibly, I want to see more borrowing. I think the other side of an election, whoever wins the election, there is bound to be an agenda for regenerating further our cities and towns. There is bound to be an agenda for more social housing. And I want local government to be at the centre of that. But to be absolutely, you know, blunt and clear, racking up debt on on commercial ventures is unacceptable. Uh, and and I'd sort of rather like what Sarah said, you know, we, we are public servants and we are public organisations acting in the interest of the public. And I 
I just worry when I see chief exec and directors of finance suddenly go through a midlife crisis, you know, wind the, wind the window down on their car, let the hair blow in their hair and think they're Richard Branson or something and go out and act in a ridiculously irresponsible way where they, they what the commercial sector doesn't do is act ir- irresponsibly. Being commercial, being entrepreneurial is managing risk. And in the case of Woking, Thurrock, any of the councils you want to, to raise, it's not being commercial, is it? I mean, it's not being, it's not remotely being commercial. And anybody in the corporate sector would look at what these councils have done and said they're a bunch of mugs. They haven't got a clue what they're doing. Yeah. Sarah, can I ask you about that point of of risk? And how did you weigh that up when you're doing that big investment in Barnsley? And, you know, what, what if it does go wrong? Um, How did, how did you think about that? And how did you assure yourselves that it was a, an appropriate level of risk? I mean, you're right. We've obviously made some very big decisions in Barnsley, um, and I can speak particularly about the glassworks, building schools for the future was um, some time ago, and I wasn't involved at that point. But in terms of the glassworks, we have had very robust governance arrangements in place um, to make sure that we manage the risk effectively. Uh, we've made sure that any, uh, you know, all the decisions we made around the development of the glassworks were very well considered, very evidence-based with a very strong business case. So, for example, one of the things that we identified when we were looking at the town centre was that Barnsley um, was one of the most under cinemaed places in the country. Um, you know, we were probably one of the only towns of the size of Barnsley to have no multiplex cinema um, within the borough. Um, and so that immediately created an opportunity for us. And, you know, we didn't just go out and speculatively build a cinema. We obviously worked with Cineworld, et cetera, to make sure that we'd got a real real market for it. Now, that said, I have to say I did have some sleepless nights during the pandemic when we were building a cinema and I wondered whether people would ever go to the cinema again. But I have to say the cinema is trading extremely successfully um, and is one of their highest performing cinemas in the country. So, so that, that, that's, that's all gone, gone very well. Um, but we are very prudent. The other thing that we do do is think very carefully about the basis upon which we take on debt. So we always ensure that at least three quarters of our debt is on fixed term rates um, so that we're not going to be caught out when interest rates change. Um, so the vast majority of our debt is on you know, long term uh, throughout the duration for the whole lifetime of the debt, fixed term rates. So we've got certainty about how much it's going to cost us to repay that debt. And that's been really, really important in terms of, 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 of our borrowings going forward. Yeah. Um, Rob, I think you wanted to come in on that. And isn't that one of the things that was an issue in Woking? Yeah, I mean, I really wanted to comment on this because... Being commercial is uh, matching the liability and the asset. And so um, borrowing longer term in order to manage risks of interest rate changes over the lifetime of that investment or asset is entirely the right thing to do commercially. And, you know, three things have happened uh, haven't they, over the last decade. Um, the Prudential Code and borrowing is there to fund a capital transaction. You borrow for a capital transaction. 
and people started to borrow in advance of need. There wasn't actually a capital transaction. They wanted to borrow to then invest commercially. Secondly, people didn't want to make proper revenue provision through um, MRP, uh, where there is a revenue consequence of borrowing money. It's sort of the local government equivalent of depreciation, let's say, in the in the corporate sector. Um, and people use capital resources for minimum revenue provision against guidance uh, and also against every accounting principle uh, that, that exists. But then thirdly, um, Thurrock and some others have used short-term borrowing in order to fund long-term propositions. And because short-term borrowing is so cheap, especially through inter-authority lending, then business cases would stack up because the interest rate assumptions in the business model were cheaper than they should be on on borrowing longer-term debt to match the asset to the liability. And they made these assumptions without on, on not making proper provision for MRP. So in a way, business cases got signed off, which in the corporate sector would be commercially unviable. And they were only made commercially viable by fiddling the assumptions and the accounting principles that underpin it. And so, you know, again, what what you've just heard Sarah say is really important. Longer term debt may be a little bit more expensive than short term debt, but you're managing out the risk of interest rate changes over the lifetime of the return of the proposition and the return on investment that you're assessing. Yeah. So wasn't that, though... As you've described that, then it's really interesting. That's a sort of failure of, of, of decision making in those particular councils. It surely doesn't mean, it, it, so it should be possible to do it well. I mean, I was speaking to someone recently who was kind of complaining that the they now are no longer able to make investments in their area that would generate a return, you know, that that did stack up because of the tightening of the rules. Do you think there's been a bit of a sort of a sledgehammer to crack a nut? to use the phrase? I think the rules allow investment-grade propositions to go ahead still, and and that's what we intend. I think what we've done in tightening the rules is to say that it's absolutely clear you shouldn't borrow in advance of need, and it's absolutely clear that you have to make adequate MRP provision. Uh, and, And, you know, come at it from another angle. If you have to stretch, nuance, um, whatever the right word is, these basic accounting assumptions in order to make something stack up, it actually isn't a business-grade proposition. Remember, in the commercial sector, you have to go to banks and investors and they charge you a higher rate of interest and they go all over your business case and unless they're absolutely convinced that you're managing it prudently and well, you don't get access to capital where we draw down PWLB um, so long as the Section 151 and the council sign off that it's meeting the Prudential Code. So because we have these very good freedoms, people have misused the system and made assumptions which are unprofessional. And so, to put it bluntly, Sarah, 
I think the Section 151 officer is at fault. I think the audit committee is at fault. I think members and the corporate management team are at fault. I think auditors are at fault. I think we have had this incredibly awful cocktail where in very few places governance has failed. And I would just remind you of the examples that we've heard earlier where governance has worked well and people have made good business decisions and they've used they've, they've used capital investment in the right way. And I, I genuinely think that that's where most of the sector is. And I think we have to call out that some people have had terrible governance and poor decisions and it's and it's unprofessional and it's it's wrong. Tracy, can can I ask you about what all these failures are doing to sort of the risk appetite of one five one officers? Um, from speaking to, to your colleagues in districts and beyond, I mean, do you, do you get the sense that it is making people more cautious or sort of thinking twice about regeneration projects? Potentially, I think there's a risk that uh, it, you know it could send some into a bit of paralysis because. I think this is a really complex area, isn't it? And, you know, that combined system approach, all those bits that Rob just outlined there, you know, your audit committees, your Section 151 officers, your external auditors require everybody to be, um, you know, eyes open uh, and, and fully understanding of that legislative framework, that regulation um, and, you know, what 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 good looks like, I, I guess. So... I think that you know there may be a bit of paralysis. I think we're possibly seeing that because I think some of the um, financial situations that are coming uh, to a head now uh, are a result of some of the um, some of the commercial decisions, if you like, or some of the decisions that were taken um, historically. So they're not necessarily you know so so recent. Um, so we might be starting to see that already. Um, but I think, you know, it takes confidence to navigate all of this, definitely. Um, but, you know, a commercial approach can mean different things. And, and to me, commercial means being more businesslike and being more businesslike means being savvy with taxpayers' money and, you know, making that each £1 of council tax go that, that little bit further. Um, you know, for South Derbyshire, this is a really interesting time, isn't it? With uh, and you know, my my members are, are acutely aware of um, you know the financial uh, failings of other councils. Um, you know, in the context potentially of, of us and our future, um, and one of the, uh, the couple of the things that that I'll be taking forward as a general approach is you know being realistic, remembering what we're in it for, remembering it's not our money. Um, scenario modelling, making use of the, the great array of metrics and data that's out there now to scenario model potential um, decisions that we're taking forward. Um, and, you know, using those mitigations properly, fixed price contract, uh, fixed price um, loans, you know, fantastic. I've seen um, in a couple of authorities that I've worked for that, the, that being the approach that was taken forward for HRA self-financing. Um, so, you know, that, that really good mitigation um, there, um, but also checking, you know, our assumptions and that optimism bias. So that, um, again, that, that um, concept there that Rob talked about in terms of um, sort of a, a, a bit of an interpretation, if you like, of the, the, um, the framework, actually looking at the scheme in itself as well and making sure that we're not 
um, baking in optimism bias um, in what we're taking forward. Yeah, there's some of the, the things that have come out from the various councils definitely seems to have been some of that going on, doesn't there? Um, Rob? I think something that's difficult for councils at the moment is that the economic context that we're operating in um, is not easy for regeneration. So, you know, we're going, we're going, we hope that inflation has peaked. We hope that interest rates have peaked. But clearly, in a time when property values have been falling, it's hard to put together regeneration schemes. Um, and the capital markets are not working. There's, there, there's not a lot of money uh, being put into housing, for example, because uh, gilts are so high. Uh, the sort of return on investment that that people can make on housing schemes uh, doesn't look attractive compared to gilts. And so we are in this period of there's not a lot of capital uh, coming through the capital markets into the type of regeneration schemes that we want. How, How do councils manage that? Because on the one hand, it must be pretty tempting to cut the strategic capacity to be able to deliver regeneration schemes when we're in a better economic context. Um, Many authorities have created, you know, regeneration vehicles uh, where actually a pipeline of schemes to put through them is not readily available. And I think this is really hard for the sector because if the sector downs tools and waits for a recovery, actually there will be a lag building that capacity back up again in order to start to have a pipeline of schemes and borrow money and the things that we're talking about now. Um, and, and, and I'm quite keen to have a discussion on that because I think I would, however difficult things are, and things are very difficult for councils, and, and we're seeing that at the moment, aren't we, um, keeping some strategic capability to be able to be working on a pipeline of regeneration and renewal schemes is quite important. But at the moment, it can appear costly because the markets and land values and everything else don't quite work uh, in the way that we want. And I think that's a legitimate point to make to government that they will probably want councils to be ready and, and to lead you know, recovery and to help our areas regenerate, well, the sector needs a bit of help if it's going to keep that strategic capability in place because actually it's got a bloody difficult job balancing the budget at the moment on mm. services. Yeah, no, we we did a survey recently that found lots of councils sort of looking at scaling back or shelving um, regeneration projects because of the sort of spiraling cost of from inflation and things like that, and Sarah, how are you approaching this in Barnsley? I know you you don't. There's still things you want to do, isn't there, in terms of regeneration? No, absolutely. I mean, I I do think we were lucky in that when we did our big investment in the Glassworks scheme, interest rates were relatively low, and that meant that we've been able to bake those in in terms of our fixed borrowing. Um, so that does make it more affordable. Um, but equally, the reason why Barnsley Council did invest in the glassworks because, was because of market failure. There had been two or more abortive attempts working with the private sector to transform the town centre, which had failed 
you know, when the banking crisis happened, failed, uh, you know, when when retail started failing. Um, And so the council did feel, unless it was to step in itself and um, make it happen, it was never going to happen. So that was, you know, underpinned really that the council's decision making. And you're right, there is still a lot more regeneration we want to do. And I think in the current environment, um, there is probably a need for making sure there is a kind of cocktail of funding. I mean, we're lucky in in Barnes Inn that we're part of South Yorkshire Combined Authority. We've got gain share that we're able to draw upon. We have had a successful LUF2 bid, um, although uh, we weren't successful in the first round. Um, and, you know, I think having a blend of funding so that there may be some borrowing we do. And I think one of the challenges we also have at the moment is construction inflation, which means that we bid for something from government and then costs have increased since. Um, but I, I, I think it is a more difficult, it inevitably costs more money to, money to borrow money at the moment. Um, and, and, and so I think having that cocktail of support is quite important. Yeah, I think you know in the in the context of regeneration but also budget pressures you know for for particularly for, for small districts you know, taking through potentially sizable regeneration schemes with borrowing has revenue implications um and you know district budgets do remain um under strong pressure as 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 does all do all types of councils in the sector and um you know i think Councils, councils have told um, district council network that investment income helps them to bridge that gap, um, and particularly in the context of much less funding um, from central government. So, you know, um, I think funding does come into it, and the general um, fiscal landscape um, around funding for councils, um, and certainly um the uh contractor sort of inflation that that sarah just talked about there that has been prohibitive to a number of of districts in terms of taking those regeneration schemes forward i want to come on into a minute to sort of what the alternative approaches might be but just rob on, on the point tracy made then that investment income has bridged the gap left by government funding government encouraged councils to be commercial and then lent them the money through the PWLB. I mean, isn't doesn't government have to take some responsibility for some of the failures that we've seen? Uh, yes, um, I, I think, I mean, I'd, I'd respond on two points. I, I think the points are really well made about construction inflation and um, going ahead with the scheme. The most important thing is is having momentum and speed because if things get delayed and there are uh, contractors fall over or anything else happens, it, it simply adds to cost in the current environment. And so um, project management and maintaining momentum is really, is really important. Um, the, uh, the, the Pickles reforms of, you know, abolish the audit commission, decimate local public audit and tell everybody there's a thousand flowers that bloom. I, I can't think of an administrative reform that has had such a dire impact on on the exchequer. Um, I, I mean, it's hard to believe, isn't it, that the district council in Surrey announcing its uh, budget position had to be announced by His Majesty's Treasury as a fiscal event. 
uh, because 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 it was so material. So I think that's been a disaster, and I don't I don't I don't think you blame the present government for that. This is a decade ago that this message being given that um, being innovative and entrepreneurial and stretching the rules at a time when audit is being undermined. I think that was a really fatal cocktail. Um, now, so yeah, I think I think previous governments bear some blame for that, uh, Sarah. But if somebody's going to allow me to overextend my mortgage in order to buy a house that I can't afford, and then it has to be foreclosed because I can't meet the mortgage payments. Yes, I'm going to blame the the regulators for allowing the banks to give me that money. But I do bear a bit of blame myself, don't I? If I've overextended myself because the rules allow me to do so. And this is public money, not people borrowing money to buy their own house. This is public money. And so I, I think that uh, a head of steam developed where councils almost wanted to outdo each other in appearing to be commercial and relying on investment income. Um, and I think it's had some really terrible consequences where people simply didn't have the capability or the ability to know to know what they're doing. And yeah. I, I think the, the only other thing I'd say is um, I challenge some of the numbers that are used about the importance of investment income because um, in the cold light of the of uh, the corporate sector, some of the returns that are being made are not that great and people don't have the commercial skills and the commercial acumen that they think they've got. Uh, uh, full stop. I mean, I, I agree with everything that Rob has said. I think, you think that's a very good analysis of the situation. I think my worry, though, is that we have another sort of central government response, which is to, in a sense, see us all, you know, a one-size-fits-all approach, see us all as as irresponsible risk-takers or potential irresponsible risk-takers and clamp down on borrowing in a way which would mean that we can't do the best for our places. So, you know, I think it's really, really important and I really, I'm sure, you know, Rob will do his best to influence the government in this way, but it's really important that the government have a sophisticated response to this, which ensures that irresponsible decisions are not made and that, you know, perhaps codes need to be tightened or whatever in order to ensure that around, you know, the use of audit, around, um, as, as, as Rob said, borrowing in advance of need, etc., but I would really be sorry if what happened as a result of this was that there was some kind of arbitrary limit to the amount of money that a council can borrow, for example. Um, I mean, Tracy's already made the point about housing revenue account. Barnsley's um, council stock is still in council ownership, so we're in exactly the same position. A significant part of our borrowing is on our housing revenue account. In order to meet, meet our climate objectives, you know, we have a lot of borrowing to do um, with our council stock in order to, uh, you know, carbon proof it for the future. Um, so I, I just really hope that there is a sophisticated response to this rather than a knee jerk blanket response. How would you feel about having to sort of, I don't know, present your business case to PWRB or something like that? 
what would your reaction to that be? I mean, be? I think part of the challenge with this is in order to do these things effectively, you do need to be relatively fleet of foot. Now, in Barnsley, we have ensured that all our investment decisions have really strong governance around them. We've got a really good audit and governance committee. We've got a large number of independent members on that committee in order to give it additional strength. Um, you know, we've got a capital oversight board. We've got a glassworks board, which has managed um, the whole development of the glassworks. But what I would worry about is anything that builds delay in decision making into the process, because that will stymie schemes, essentially. Um, so I guess it depends how it works in practice. My worry would be a bureaucracy that, that sort of weighs us all down and means that we can't be fleet of foot in terms of taking advantage of opportunities that may present themselves. Sure, yeah. Um, Rob, did you want to come in on that? I, I, think, I think where we are is a good place so long as this is where we stay. So uh, the government does commission reviews and look at some councils that are very highly leveraged, but it's not commissioning reviews on every council. And clearly the, the tightened rules make more clear that government can prescribe uh, some councils borrowing more PWAB. Actually, that's probably always been there, but, it, but it's also clearer now. So I think, it, I think the government will at times review some councils uh, on, their, on their balance sheet and their borrowing. I think the government may say you can't borrow any more or... We're going to take intervention and insist that you make asset sales in order to pay down some of your debt. And that's where we are at the moment. And I think that the fact that so many councils made good and proper use of their borrowing powers is a credit to them, but also it's helped the sector to um, stave off or stop more um, sledgehammer controls that would have mean that everybody needs permission on everything. I think, I hope that the new rules that are in place or the redefined rules mean that although we may see a couple of more cases come to the fore of councils making bad decisions, I don't think they're new decisions. I think it's the sort of fag end of seeing what people were doing whilst bad decision making was take, taking place. Uh, and I think we can probably ride that out as well. And in the meantime, of course, we're encouraging the government to improve local public audit, to help us improve audit committees, to invest in finance functions and improve capabilities of Section 151 officers and, and chief executives and statutory officers to be able to advise properly on these things. And, and I think we'll keep the freedoms we have. If there's something that I don't know about or none of us on this call know about and there's about to be a new a new rule breaking dodge or people are still going out and doing those things I, I i i think it would be a bridge too far for the sector to keep its present yeah. freedoms and we would end up with everybody having to get permission on anything so um yeah you let's, know let's that, hope that, there's nothing you don't know about them. no that we are <laughs> that we are in the last chance saloon perhaps is an absolute credit to everybody that has done the right thing because i think if they had if that wasn't the case everything would have been tightened up when i was when i was uh, sorry to talk about my 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 long career you know 
Um, I was first a director of finance in the 90s. I, I can remember when I waited to get my capital allocation in my settlement and, and the local authority settlement included how much I could borrow before the Prudential Code and I could borrow squiddly dot and we had capital controls and of course that led us all to do very exotic things on off balance sheet activity which uh, is probably the subject of another podcast Sarah but but we didn't have capital uh, and I can remember that and I can remember where the government simply controlled the amount of borrowing we could make and none of us want to go back to that and I I think we've avoided it I, I think we have avoided losing those freedoms and I think that even if another couple of councils are found to have made dreadful decisions I think we can ride that out but if that's, if I'm wrong on if I'm yeah. wrong on that I'm afraid we will lose some freedoms that's that's encouraging and we we're fast running out of time I just wanted to perhaps come to you next Tracy and is there are there any alternatives to PWLB that people are looking at or is that the sort of the only route, particularly in this kind of high inflation environment that we find ourselves in? I mean, there, there are other routes, aren't there? Um, they're not ones that I've come across in my career, I have to, you know, or, or, or had a part in, um, to, to be honest. Um, and particularly for South Derbyshire, you know, they're very much focused on um, managing their, their capital plans within their means. And, and a lot of that has come from um, housing growth and making good use of developer contributions, which um, which is you know a bit a, a bit around that um, local infrastructure bit. I think that that needs a bit of focus and attention in the future. Yeah. And, and Sarah, what about in Barnsley? Is are there any other options, or is it sort of PWLB is the only way? I mean, I'm not a Section One Five One officer, so I'm probably not the best person to answer, and I'm not even sure whether all our loans have come through. PWLB to be honest um, the key thing for us is is certainty making sure that money we borrow we've got real certainty over borrow, uh, over repayments and that that is properly managed within the the business case for the investment and within our o- overall medium-term financial strategy so it's it's having a really strong grip on that MTFS which I think is critical I mean on the whole Sarah councils have a wide range of treasury management freedoms to invest their their reserves and resources and order and and also to borrow for longer term investment it's hard to imagine beating the rates that you get from pwlb and so whilst the whilst these instruments and freedoms that we have access to may have use in the overall treasury management strategy it is pretty hard to imagine beating pwlb yeah tracy yeah, sorry, Sarah. I just wanted to return to a point that you uh, that we just concluded a moment ago, which was about. Um, it started off with Sarah talking about kind of a sophisticated response, I guess, from the government and and Rob building on that a little bit. But you know, I just wanted to say like the 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 multitude of like capital metrics and and data explorer and so on that that's that's kind of coming out and emerging at the moment. Really welcome them and really support them. They are backward looking. Um, you know, and a good a good looking glass, but you know, if 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 we were if we were about to borrow from the PWLB, and I was asked to put a business case or something forward, noting Sarah's point about being f- fleet of foot, mm. you know, I think the taxpayer out there would probably expect me to have to go through some kind of process, 
Um, so, you know, I think just, just thinking about that point, it's not something that I, I would, you know, I, I suppose I've got an expectation, you know, that, that that's, you know, that's a, a, a yeah. good thing um, and, and expected in this quite complex environment that we operate in. Yeah, well, I'm sure we could carry on talking about this, but I think we have come to the end of our time. Um, so, yeah, encouraging to hear that we think perhaps we might be over the worst of it <laughs> and hopefully not, not too many many more um, sort of horror stories to come. So um, let, let's hope that's the case. Thank you all very much for your time. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like and subscribe and leave us a review. Um, and we look forward to seeing you again next time. Thank you all. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Local Authority, brought to you by Local Government Chronicle. You can listen to the full back catalogue of episodes on Apple, Spotify or Google Podcasts or by visiting lgcplus.com forward slash podcast. We'll see you next time for another episode of The Local Authority.